Hey guys, thanks for checking in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. As you know, I'm trying to push you to all my other platforms, not just YouTube. Honestly, don't know how long I'll be on YouTube. Uh, you know, being a Russian asset and everything that might kick me off eventually. So make sure you follow me on Odyssey especially, but then also on all the other platforms that are listed in the description with links. Anyways, tonight I've got on a pretty cool guest. She had me on her show, I don't know, a month and a half ago or so. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this guy who's just a troll account. He was, uh, you know, pretending to be Joe Rogan, tweeting out that they canceled <laughs> my latest episode with him and Spotify wasn't going to air it. And then I got tons and tons of messages from people asking me to come on their shows, come talk to them or whatever. And then I told them, you know, no, this was just a joke. It wasn't real. And most of them just stopped talking to me. But Allison was kind enough to still have me on her show. Anyway, and we had a great conversation. And then I checked out her YouTube channel, which you can also find in the description. And she's had all sorts of amazing guests, uh, some of the same that I have, but a ton more. And she also has a really interesting story. So I wanted to talk to her. Allison, thank you for coming on tonight. Oh, it's my honor. And, you know, you were talking about how we connected when I thought you were <laughs> canceled from Joe Rogan. And I think this week you have Alex Stein, right? Coming up, the troll, the city council troll. Yeah, I'm going on his show this week, then he's coming on soon after. Awesome. Well, so I remember when I had him on, I asked him if he was being invited on by people who were playing his video or if they were just playing his video, the videos of where he goes to city councils and, and trolls them. And he said, no, that people are just playing his video and they didn't have him on. And I, and I was like, well, I'm glad that, you know, I, I get to talk to you because you're fascinating, this person who goes and does what he does. And then I see him on Tucker Carlson. So I'm hoping... That now that I'm on yours, you know, I don't know, since I'm opening for Ron Paul tomorrow, that this is, <laughs> this is my big break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll put a good word in for you to, to Alex for sure. Um, so we're going to talk about politics and stuff, but there, there's a, another side of me that I haven't talked a ton about on this show just because politics, you know, it takes the front stage with everything. But I have actually taken a lot of time off in my past uh, and, and just on road tripping. And I've always lived out of my Toyota pickup truck that I had until I got hit in it last year. Um, and I, I did a road trip up to Alaska with my brother uh, for two. Uh, well, no, what was that? That was four months. That was four months long. Uh, and we went through a ton of different states. Uh you know, we we're just eating on the road, cooking on the back of the truck, sleeping in the back of the truck, very minimalist lifestyle. I've done all sorts of that stuff throughout my life and I really enjoy it. And uh, it, it just kind of, for me, it, it makes, it makes me remember what really matters in life, I guess, because when you're on the road for four months, just road tripping, you stop caring about dumb shit you just care about okay what am i going to eat tonight and where am i going to sleep and then what are we going to do during the day and that's like really it um especially if you're just with a companion that you get along with really well but um you so you used to um you used to work for the mainstream media and you stepped away from that and you've kind of embraced this off the grid lifestyle that you're trying to go for would you just kind of explain how that transformation happened and is that something you've always been interested in or were you just like so sick of the the mainstream world that you just wanted to like get out in the woods or what, what happened how did that all transpire when i moved to seattle uh 
I had heard that there was a lot of hiking around. And so my last job in television news was at the NBC affiliate in Seattle. And it's funny because a lot of the people that I worked with would give me these hiking ideas. I'd get there and I'm like, this doesn't look like the pictures, you know, it's still kind of like in the foothills. I, I've seen these snow capped mountains, these incredible summits. There's got to be better hiking. I didn't, I had never even heard of the Pacific Crest Trail at that point, but I, I stumbled upon it somehow. And when I did this, this section of it called the Kendall Catwalk, which is a Snoqualmie Pass, I had never looked out in any direction, sort of at like the summit of a mountain and just seen mountain after mountain after mountain of just incredible, like the hills are alive, Maria Von Trapp, sound of music, beauty. And I was totally addicted after that. I, I was, I was the summit chaser for the rest of the time that I was in Seattle. And at the same time, I also became the environmental reporter for my station. So I specialized in environmental reporting, which took me to a lot of very similar places. One of my my uh, reports was on looking for the lone Wolverine den in the South Cascade. So we hiked 20 miles in one day uh, with gear up in the snow. Uh, one of the people in my crew broke her ankle. I brought my husband, who was a former Marine, thankfully, because he basically had to carry her stuff and her all the way down the mountain. Uh, so I, I got to do that for a job. And I think over time, it, it sort of ended my career. I mean, there, there are a couple reasons why, but I think big picture, like you were saying, the more that you spend time in quiet and the more that you're just present with what's going on right in front of you. Like when you're on a trail, it's just one foot in front of another and you're not really, if you can sort of let the thoughts about the city and your life and everything go for a little bit and just be there on the trail, you have time to, I don't know, just enjoy what's right in front of you and, and not all the stuff that I think when you're talking about like the system or the grid, it, it wants, it sort of, encourages us to to stay distracted from the present and from ourselves and self-awareness and our lives and just the simple things. And I think that's sort of one of the reasons why I would just like keep running that rat race. But both professionally and personally at the time, I was just spending so much time in the mountains. And I realized that like I, I just stopped wanting to come back to work. I would go out on these stories and I'm like, I don't want to go back to work in the city. And so eventually I quit. I, I actually tried offering my bosses a reformatted position that would have given me what I wanted, which was to move to the middle of nowhere and live in this Airstream we're renovating and then do digital reporting that gave me also the chance to kind of focus more on the reporting that I, I felt like I was not able to do. TV news is very fast paced and you don't get a lot of time to understand what you're talking about. That's one of the main reasons why a lot of sort of the well-intentioned reporters put out a lot of crap. And we can talk about that in a little bit if you want, but they didn't, they thought I was nuts. The idea that I had, <laughs> they thought I was crazy. And they basically encouraged me to, to go uh, to greener pastures. So that's what I did. And so now we live, you know, we live in very sort of rural America. We're on 20 acres next to a state park. I can see two neighbors sort of way, you know, a few football fields away from our house, but that's it. And um, have horses and, you know, we're going to have a garden this summer. So we're growing our own food, which is nice. But, you know, we're 
we're we I call it off gridish because uh, I guess the way I talk to people about it is you don't have to go full uh, like full Tarzan, you know what I mean? Like you can you can sort of slowly say, well, I want to instead of going to the grocery store for my chicken. I want to get to know a rancher or you know, somebody who grows chicken or you know raises chicken or raises beef or something in my area and just buy direct. To me, that is moving in the off-gridish direction because you're picking one system that you've been participating in and slowly removing yourself from it and creating a new system, which is essentially what we're hoping to do is to say, we're not really sure that you can beat them at their own game, if you will. So create your own. And, and that's the idea. Yeah, that's great. Um, Traveling changed my life and, and, you know, the, the road tripping and living a simplistic lifestyle. Um, <laughs> I, I don't Have you seen into the wild or read the book? If you can believe it, I have not seen into the wild. I have, oh, I have okay. been meaning to watch that movie for so long and I have not Yeah, No, I haven't read the book either, but I I've heard so many things about it. I feel like I've almost, <laughs> I've almost read it, but it sounds yeah. like it, a great uh, story. Yeah. There's this scene in it. And I forget where he's been, but he he's been out in the wilderness for a long time. And then he walks through Los Angeles and just like seeing all the lights and all the people and all the hustle and bustle is just hard for him to uh -huh. it, it's hard for him to absorb. And I remember I, I saw Into the Wild the first time when I was like 14 or 16 or something. I don't remember how old I was, but uh, I watched it again after I'd come back from Alaska, which is the longest road trip I'd been on. And I saw that scene and I was like, I know that feeling. I've had that feeling. Um, and I remember my brother and I, we were on our way back from Alaska. So we went from Arizona up to Alaska to New Hampshire. And we're not, we were on our way back down and we hadn't had like a real shower in like 10 weeks at this point. We had soap with us that we'd, you know, get in the river and kind of clean up or whatever. But we were... <laughs> we looked rough. Like you could tell, Oh, these guys have been living uh, rough for a while. And we, uh, we got into Banff national park and there was this big visitor center. And I remember he and I just walked into it and it was the most people we'd been around in a long time. And we just kind of had this dazed look looking around us. But, um, it, yeah, it's like you said, you have to remove yourself from the system to realize how crazy it is. And once you've mm -hmm. been off of it for a while, you get back into it. You're just like, Whoa, like, yeah. <laughs> this is weird. And it's the same way with propaganda or, you know, the, the media totally. or society, like all of it. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't realize how crazy it is until you can remove yourself from it and then look back into it mm -hmm. and be like, wow, this is crazy. Um, right. And I don't, I don't know if uh, mm -hmm. traveling like around the country is something that you ever did. But what I did um, was I grew up in New Hampshire and I was pretty exclusively just in New Hampshire, flew to Arizona a few times a year, or sorry, not a few times a year, a, a few different times over the years. Um, but other than that, I didn't really go anywhere. And then when I turned 21, I took two years off and I just traveled to all 50 States. And oh, good for you. I had, you know, I had these preconceived ideas about what each of these states were like Texas. I had something in my mind like, oh, yeah, I know what Texas is or California. California was the most explicit one. I was like, oh, yeah, that's like Hollywood <laughs> liberals and beaches. And then you go to California and you're out in the middle of the woods up in Klamath County in the middle of nowhere. 
uh, you know, and you see some guy shooting his gun in his backyard. You're just like, what? This is California. So you you have like all these preconceived ideas of what everything is. And then right. you actually go experience it and you realize, wow, I was wrong about that. Maybe I'm wrong about like all these other things I've thought, too. Mm -hmm. So both living away from society and then coming back into it and then having these preconceived ideas proven wrong in front of me really just like kind of blew up everything I thought about society. And th that was just kind of mirroring what you just said, but do you have any mm -hmm. further thoughts on that? Yeah, a lot. First, it reminded me of how 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago, I stumbled into a Bikram yoga class and I'd been doing yoga for a few years prior to that, but I'd never done like a really hot yoga class. And I don't know if you know anything about Bikram, but it's uh, the same 26 poses every class. And it's all focused on your spine and connective tissue. And it, I like it because it's the same, same class every time you go. So you're not like trying to pay attention to your teacher going from downward dog to whatever pose you just, you know what you're doing. And so you can just focus on it. And like I was saying, it's all really focused on your spine. One of my teachers says she's literally gained an inch since, since doing it. And after about a month or two, I started noticing that if I went longer than a week without practicing, I could literally feel gravity's effect on my body. I, I could feel like my lower back. I just felt crunchy. I don't know if that makes sense, but I could just feel like my, my joints just, they weren't, they weren't oiled up, you know, like if you were to think about it. And when I leave class, which is also in a 105 degree room, I just feel so loose. Like all my joints feel so loose and I feel so healthy. And that was the first time that I realized what you were saying, which is I didn't know that I was unhealthy until I got healthy. The only way to really know that you were sick if you're sick all the time is to have a bout with real health. And then you're like, Oh, now I know what sickness is. And it, it is the same thing with propaganda. And, and like you said, the narrative, because you do have to sort of have both the opportunity, but also the awareness. And I think some people have the opportunity, but they don't have the awareness. And I, I I'm not sure, like on my journey, I, I'm very, I'm very wary to just like look at people and say, how come you, you don't see this? Uh, even though it does bother me, don't, don't get me wrong, but I was one of those people for a certain right. amount of time. I was one of those people in mainstream news who really, I was, I think I was open to it, but I didn't have the opportunity. Nobody was telling me like, you should be more skeptical of the government or there are all these special interests. Like I didn't have bosses who are encouraging that. And I was available to it, but I just, I don't know if, that world just didn't want to talk to us dirty people in the mainstream business or, or what, but I, I, I really didn't start waking up until the very end. And it didn't take long. Once I, once I started getting healthy, if you will, I, I mean, it was probably six months before I just, I could no longer stay in my career. Uh, but I, I had to have both, both the, the opportunity people giving me the chance to see the truth and the awareness to be able to see it. And I think, you know, if you only have one and you don't have the other, it's hard to wake up. So I, I, I find myself nowadays with my peers, my former peers, I don't necessarily waste my time like arguing if, if you're just already like, there is no such thing as propaganda. I remember one of my friends who's in the business talking to her at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And I said, you know, cause she was talking about the vaccines and I'll be very careful what I say since we're on YouTube, <laughs> I've been suspended enough times, but um, 
but we were kind of going back and forth about the mandates. And she's like, well, I understand why people are skeptical because they just don't know. And I said, no, they're skeptical because they do know. They they do know. That's that's the problem. And you don't know is the problem. And this is one of the greatest propaganda campaigns that we've been through in our lifetime, at least since 9-11. And she's like, well, we're just going to disagree on the propaganda part. This is just public health. You know, is is there any is there is there a goal, I guess, for me to just like keep going with somebody like that who, you know, you've been given the opportunity to see, but you're just so closed off. And so I'm, I I look for those two things now, the people who are hungry, you know, in my old business, because I, I still kind of see myself if if there are people that are waking up like kind of as a bridge to the other side. But I also don't find myself wanting to be somebody who's like trying to grab you by the scruff of the neck and force you to see something that you're incapable of seeing. Yeah. So was this something you just slowly realized or was there a moment when you were like, Whoa, <laughs> this is obvious propaganda right here. Was it, was there a certain moment you came across or was it just real gradual? Both. I, I, I would say that over, because like I was explaining that I was an environmental reporter, I was finally over the five years that I covered that topic, I was finally amassing enough knowledge in that particular subject area to, to see the blind spots that I had. Because part of the problem in the news business is that the, the way the system works, it kind of moves you from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And it keeps you thinking that you've become like a mini expert. I remember my boss, and maybe even I used to think this, that like every day we become a mini expert. And once I started really becoming, not really an expert, but I was much more much more able to understand and articulate what I was covering when I was covering it every single day. I realized I had never been a mini expert. Like all these days that I had gone out and talked to somebody for 10 minutes, like I barely was scratching the surface of what was really going on. And so when I started seeing the blind spots of my environmental reporting and I realized, man, I need to read this Senate report or I wish I could talk to this person, but I only have two hours and they didn't call me back and we're not going to hold the story till tomorrow. I don't really know what they were going to say. And I, I started seeing more and more that I was going on television, kind of acting like an authority when I knew that I was not an authority. I just, I, it was really like a crisis of conscience. And then and the one thing that really was like sort of that moment, I would say probably two months before I finally quit. And it was really, it's just really odd because it was before COVID and uh, I had, I remember I was an environmental reporter, so I didn't cover like public health or anything, but at the time, Washington state was debating in the legislature whether certain exemptions should be removed from childhood uh, school vaccination requirements. And so there were all these protests. And normally when we covered it, and we covered it a lot, we would have a woman, usually like a mom, a soccer mom or something at the protest. And we, she would just say something like, you know, my kid shouldn't be forced to have vaccinations or something. And then we would have a Department of Health spokesperson calmly explaining why everybody has to get vaccines. And I had never heard any doctors question th that narrative at all. I, I just like assumed every doctor agreed with what that Department of Health person was saying. They all agreed with mandates. I, I was not somebody who was even skeptical at all of that. But remember, I was like starting to wake up and realizing that there were other voices out there because I could see in my own reporting career that I wasn't able to access them. So I was at least open to that idea at that point. Well, I saw that there was this conference coming to town. I just happened to get a press release about it 
for informed choice Washington. And there were these doctors that were going to be speaking at the press conference about, or actually it was like a three-day conference for parents or anybody else who wanted to come learn about health. And one of the things they were going to talk about were these mandates. So I forwarded the email to my boss and to the assignment desk and to our health reporter. And I said, hey, maybe this would be an opportunity to cover this topic, which we were already covering in a way that was not just setting up a soccer mom against the Department of Health. Get another doctor and and have the doctors debate it. I, I'd like to hear a doctor debate a doctor versus, you know, kind of the unfair fight and just hear what they have to say, because I never heard a doctor talk about this stuff as a contrarian before and question mandates. My boss uh, called me and told me that I was never allowed to pitch another story about vaccines ever again in my newsroom. And this is before COVID, okay? <laughs> Keep in mind, like, I had never, I mean, I had never said something like, you know, kids shouldn't get back, like, in my newsroom, you know, kids shouldn't have to get vaccines. I wasn't even covering that. I was an environmental right. reporter, and I wouldn't have even covered that story. I was just pitching it. So basically what my boss was telling me was not even, hey, we're taking you off this story or anything, because I was never going to be on it. What he was saying was, you can't even pitch this idea. So like you, Allison, cannot even introduce the possibility of there being another perspective on this topic to your coworkers who are going to cover it. And I realized this is insanity. Like, so of course I went to the conference because now I really had to know what was going on. And I mean, man, that took me down this rabbit hole that I think probably set me up for understanding COVID a lot differently than I would have. Uh, of course I didn't, you know, listen to him when it came to like, well, you know, this is, you shouldn't be listening to these people. They're nuts. Blah, blah. I'm like, you know, these are doctors. Either you, you, what I would have loved to hear a journalist say, and and even like now when we're we're debating these mandates over COVID, is instead of just throwing the anti-vaxxer or the psycho or <clears throat> disinformation category ad hominem at somebody, tell me how this medical doctor who is practicing, who has a license to practice has become a psychopath overnight. I would really, I really want somebody to explain it to me. And, and that's something that, a lot, you know, journalists just have not been able to satisfy at least my curiosity about. Um, of course, my boss didn't really want to discuss that stuff, but it, it always, it, it always strikes me as odd when you have somebody who is considered like a leader in their field, they've somehow been able to make it all the way. They're, they're practicing, they have a license but for whatever reason, you, the journalist, are going to decide they're totally psycho without even listening to what they have to say. I, I, I thought that was <laughs> remarkable. And I think it's a reflection of where journalism has gone from being not perfect at, at all. But when I first got into it, you were looking for the contrarian opinion. You wanted to hear what the dissenters had to say, because that was what was new. That that was news. It wasn't news to just recycle information that everybody was saying, but it turned somehow over the last six years or so into a profession where you were trying to silence the dissenters and silence the contrarian. And, and your job now is the gatekeeper who is protecting the public from hearing anything that could potentially lead them astray. And somehow assuming that you are the authority, that you somehow have this inside information, you're able to sort through that the public can't and that you don't make mistakes, but the doctors or these people you're silencing, they do. And, and it's just this sort of hubristic way of looking at the world. So, so that was like probably the biggest moment of having a boss like literally censor me 
you know, from even <laughs> telling my coworkers, Hey, Christy, you know, there's a conference coming to town. Like, can you imagine having a boss say that to you? Like you can't even talk about it. Yeah. That, to me, that's totally nuts. Yeah. Um, you were saying this kind of set you up for COVID. And I think about that sometimes, like I already had some distrust of the, so of the, uh, you know, the mainstream media, but, um, it wasn't until I think it was 2018 when all this fear mongering about um, North Korea was going on. And then Trump ends up actually going and meeting Kim Jong Un and just seeing the backlash of media attacks that he got for meeting with Kim Jong Un. I was just like, wait a second. Two weeks ago, we thought we were going into nuclear war. Isn't this like the best thing that could have happened? But it was just this nonstop demonization of him that was i remember that was the first time that i realized like whoa okay these guys aren't just stupid or they're not just missing the point like they're bad like they're purposefully trying to you know make this out to be a bad thing that this has happened and then um working on tulsi gabbard's campaign that like completely red pilled me on it i was just like i, I could not believe how evil they were to her i, I still can't believe it it just blew my mind yeah. <laughs> just i mean yeah. how how much they demonized her uh you know and the the debates that were being done by cnn they wouldn't let her into them even though she qualified for them i just after that i realized like wow these people suck these people um you know like the 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 motive here is not good it's not just ignorance like there is an intentional um you know th there's an intentional strategy to demonize or snuff out voices that they don't like. So then when COVID came along, I was already thinking that way. Um, but it seems from what you're saying that this system is designed to work this way. It's not just an accident. I mean, if your boss is literally not letting you cover something that should be an interesting story, and if they're purposefully not letting candidates that qualify into news-sponsored debates or whatever... It seems like this is intentional. Why do you think they're doing it? Is it just to protect their hegemony of, you know, you know, you know, this uh, this monopoly that they've built on information? Is that what it's all about, or why why are they doing this? Do you think? One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is that I would rather live under a robber baron than a moral busybody because the robber baron's cupidity sleeps every once in a while or eventually will be convicted, whereas the moral busybody will torment you with the approval of his own conscience. And I think for a lot of these people, they're, they're self-righteous, I don't know, just uh, people who really believe that they, they just know better than you do. They, they, and they're really, I think, honestly, I know this is hard for people to believe, but I, I know what this was like working in, in these newsrooms. I never heard one person say, Hey, everybody, we take a lot of money from big pharma. So we definitely need to make sure we push big pharma talking points. The, the way my boss looked at it when he was silencing me about that was had nothing to do with like, well, this is the big pharma public health policy. <laughs> you know, so we just have to stick to that. He, he felt like he was, he was the barrier between the public and sure death. <laughs> and, and I think a lot, if not most people somehow convince themselves that they are doing something righteous. And that's like the greatest evil to me that that's the scariest mentality to me is the person who who really 
believes that they are the savior by doing these evil things. And um, I, 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 that's a hard person to debate because like, you're not going to debate with them that they're doing something wrong because they, they see what they're doing is very good. And, um, and I, you know, I, I, I believe, especially with those people, like at the top, top that they just look at the rest of us, like they're, they're silencing the, the dissent or they're moving policy in a particular direction against our will in a lot of cases, but for our best interest, like a parent, like they almost look at us like we're their kids and they're our parents and we're just doing what's, what's good for you. I don't think most, most of these people that were the, were concerned about who are making these decisions that you're talking about, uh, are going to bed at night saying, Oh, you know, I'm so evil, you know, I really need to repent tonight or, or, you know, or I love it. I love how evil I am. I don't, I don't think Mm. they're doing that. I think somehow they've convinced themselves that they're doing the right thing. Think about the Milgram experiments. I had just had a couple, uh, guys on that were, they revisited them. You know, those experiments that were done during the Holocaust basically or after, I think to understand why it happened. And their read on it was not just like originally people thought that the the experiment showed we just have a natural affinity towards authority. But what these guys found was not really that, that it was like there was a meaning you would somehow associated with authority. It wasn't just authority, generally speaking. Somehow you you found this sort of like higher purpose for what the authority figure is telling you to do. And I think we could see that with the COVID narrative, you know, well, I'm just, I remember even like kind of the same friend I was telling you about who was like, this is not propaganda. You know, I remember after she got the shot and she was so sick and she said, but I would do it all over again for, for the public, you know, I mean, she was really bought into that. So do you think somebody like that is going and, and giving, you know, that narrative a fair shake? Like she's so bought into that she is willing to sort of prostrate her public health for the greater good. And, and the, the powers that be have convinced her of that as a journalist. So she goes out and, you know, I'll give you another example. There's a young reporter who is at a station that I actually, back when I was in TV news, I was a corporate trainer. So I sat all over the country to train young journalists. And she's at one of the stations. She wasn't there when I was there, but she, she's at one of the stations that I was there training And I saw that she was tweeting about how, you know, if you, if you disagree with her, that's fine. But essentially, if you question COVID narrative, you're leading to people's death and I'm blocking you. And I direct messaged her or wrote her back on Twitter. I can't remember. And I said, Hey, I used to be uh, in your shoes and I used to work for your same company and I trained your station and I'd love to talk to you sometime offline about propaganda and how it works in the news because I didn't see it for a long time. I believed that I was doing the I was doing the public a good service and not realizing that I was I was actually harming people with my reporting. And she blocked me. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> like you're that's what I say to go back to the, my point about like offering offering the opportunity. There's just a lot of people who don't want to see it, and so. And I think they don't want to see it because they believe that like in the same way they're silencing voices for the public, they want to keep themselves clean 
from that. Like they, they believe that they're endorsing you or platforming you or, or like giving credence to your ideas. If they even listen to you, I'm like, that, that's insane that a journalist yeah. would think that that's not the, that that's not the basis of their very job. That, right. That's like the foundation of your job is to, to listen to those voices and to sift through them and, and, and give them a shot. Not, not just like say, no, you know, you're, <laughs> you don't, you're, you're totally crazy you're, you're harming people. I'm not even going to listen to you. How do you even know what you're talking about? So they're all, I I really do believe that they think that they're doing something good though. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, I I don't think anyone who actually believes that they, you know, get into their robe at night and do some satanic prayer and then say, ha ha ha, these stupid humans. I'm going to, yeah. I mean, nobody does that. And you could see it in people in your personal lives, how they just excuse stuff away little by little. And then they end up accepting ridiculous non-truths as though they're fact. Like it's just kind of, I mean, I remember, you know, growing up watching Holocaust movies, the scary thing about it was, okay, what if this happened here? Who would be the SS guard? You know, who would, who would actually stand up and do something and like, try to hide people and try to help people escape who would end up, you know, just capitulating and throwing in with the bad guys and seeing, you know, what happened in 2020 and 2021 with a relatively harmless disease to most people was pretty horrifying. It's like, wow, imagine if we had the bubonic plague or something really bad. Like imagine if they actually released something really horrible on us, how people would act. Um, As far as, the media reacting the way it does what can we do to fix it my my friend ryan dawson he's been banned off of like everything and he says the the solution isn't fixing politics we have to fix the media first to me the only way to do that is through alternative media sources that can't be banned like odyssey i know you're on odyssey too Mm -hmm. i mean i don't really see a way to control to try to you know strong arm the media into getting better it just seems like it's a human nature problem mm-hmm. of wanting control, wanting to centralize. So the only way around it is creating mm-hmm. systems that they can't control. Because if I feel like so many people are saying like, we need to just nationalize the media or we need laws to change this. We mm-hmm. need the fairness doctrine put back in place. I just don't think that that would do mm-hmm. anything. Cause I feel like human nature is to corrupt it anyway. But since you actually, uh, we're in the thick of it and you're now an independent uh, media voice. What do you think the way around this is? What is the solution? I agree with you that it's a human nature problem and that just, for instance, saying, hey, if we fund it publicly, we won't have the issue with advertisers. So everything will be fine. Somebody who says that has never worked in a newsroom before. Like I said earlier, I've never heard a journalist say, this is what I'm going to report today because I get money from big pharma. You know, I feel pressure from big pharma. And when you get press releases, for instance, that are pushing you in that direction, they're manipulation that is cloaked in helping again, like, Hey, we have this new drug or all these people, we did this study, blah, blah, blah. And we're helping people. And like, you just bite. Uh, partially because you're unaware, partially because you're not encouraged to be self-reflective, partially because you don't have time. There's just all these things that play into it. And then a lot of people just are in the field because they're already arrogant and they they 
feel like they have some kind of role to, I don't know. They're just like this Messiah complex to bring truth and democracy to, excuse me, to, to the American public. And so that helps like keep that kind of blinder on. But if you, if you, did public funding, I mean, you'd still have that problem. And then you would still have this issue of the fact that like the government is still seen as an authority by journalists, by most journalists. One time, sorry, I've told before on my channel a couple of times, we got this press releases back kind of when I was still asleep, you know, intellectually, we got this press releases. I wasn't covering the environment yet. This is early on in my, in my career in Seattle. And the department of health sent out this press release and said that this doctor, he was a naturopath, but he was working on cancer patients and doing some really interesting stuff. But I didn't know this at the time. Anyway, they said he was experimenting on his patients and they had, they had ripped his license and we didn't have anything like everything fallen through. We didn't have anything for 11. And so my bosses were like, just go stand outside this guy's uh, office and read the press release, <laughs> you know, just say, this is what the department of health says. And we don't have, we don't have any response from this guy yet. Of course we didn't because it was 10 o'clock at night and we should have waited a day or two, but everybody else was running with the story. So whatever we did it. Well, the next day I got a call from the guy's son and he yelled at me and I deserved it. And I said, Hey, listen, I would really like to get your dad's side of the story. Honestly, uh, if, if he would still talk to me and he said, well, I'll ask him. And, and he was magnanimous enough to do that. And so I sat down with him and a bunch of his patients who I should add all had their treatments thrown out. And these people are telling me I had stage four melanoma and I'm 10 years cancer free. Another person with multiple myeloma, which is what killed my grandfather in six months, alive for 12 years. Um, I remember saying, oh, my grandfather had that. And that person goes, well, how's he doing now? And I was like, he, he died like right away. That's a, that's a pretty severe cancer. I think that's what Colin Powell had. I'm not totally sure, but it's, it's a bad aggressive cancer. I, I don't want to botch this guy's science, but he was working on, they, they called them vaccines at the time, but they weren't really vaccines. They were like taking your own, it's kind of what we call immunotherapy now. Like they're taking your own proteins, your own, your own cellular structure, grow it in a lab and then like give you your immune system back, but, but full, fully charged. And, and he was doing this, uh, it was not FDA approved, but he would have them sign these waivers. That was, that was his side of the story. So keep in mind, like, this is the full story. If we wanted to run the full story, that's what we would have said. The department of health says he's experimenting. He says that, you know, he has them sign waivers and they all want this treatment. And, you know, 26 people died after that after he had his license suspended and their treatments are thrown out. Like that, I look at myself now and I, I consider myself culpable in that situation. So like when I talk about this, I I'm not saying like, I look back on my career and say, you did nothing wrong. Like I have to contend with every day, really like part of my journey of waking up and learning new things is to look back on Allison then and say, you miss that, you know, you, you miss that. And you participated in this atrocious defamation of a doctor who, who was just attacked by the department of health. Now, even say you agree with the department of health on that one. Like there are some people who feel like he was a quack, whatever. And you agree with the department of health. I should have still reported his side of the story. When I reported what happened in the department of health, I, I, we should never have just said their side. 
So then the next question is, well, why did we do that? Why, why did we think it was okay? Because I guarantee you, if the doctor had come to us and said, the Department of Health is experimenting on patients, we would have gone, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is, that's really out there. We need a secondary or a tertiary account. We need to see documents. We're going to need to file a public records request. We would have turned that into a six month long investigation. But why did the Department of Health send out a press release? And, and that night we just ran with it as if that was gospel. That's, that's the real heart of the question that like, if I was running a newsroom, that's what I would teach people that I would be like, listen, let me tell you the story. And why do we look at the Department of Health or the government as if they're as if they're the gospel, you know, the leader, the authority, like, why do we I still don't have a great answer for that other than somehow there's like this class thing where we're like, we're all in the same club protecting people, the government and the journalists, you know, we're like all these estates of of of, of democracy and 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 um, integrity. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we just kind of see each other that way we should be seeing the government as, you know, totally the opposite of that as, uh -huh. as, as groups of people who have special interests or controlled by special interests that make mistakes all the time that are defaming people all the time. Like nobody, you know, it, it sounds so dumb. Like, well, why didn't you know that? I don't know. Nobody said that to me, you know, it wasn't until that story and I had to learn the hard way, but at least I was open to it. And I was like, God, I can't believe I did this. So, just to go back to your point about funding, I mean, imagine if imagine if the Department of Health was funding my newsroom, it would have been even worse. You know, it's yeah. like they're not even funding it. The government's not even funding them right now. And they're still terrible at just trusting the government and and just taking their word for it. Um, you know, so I agree with you that ultimately there just needs to be more options for people to get their information. And I think part of the reason you can see that that is a solution is how fiercely the mainstream corporate media world works to silence that how 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 often they're writing articles or doing stories about all the the very dangerous people online and all the dangerous misinformation and how you know they cheer on when people are deplatformed i think the very fact that they they love the deplatforming and get very nervous about all these dangerous people the 12 most you know, popular disinformation agents online. They write all these articles. I, I think that that just goes to show that you're on to something when you're talking about the option for the other sources. So I hope it continues in that direction. I Again, we started at the hour by talking about decentralizing, leaving the system. Can you beat the system at its own game? I, I, I would never say never, but I think at this point in my life, I, I don't think you can. I think you have to create something different and you know, we can all do that in little ways in our own lives. And so how that is in your life might be different than my life, but I don't think I was going to change my newsroom by just staying there and like arguing with them all day long. Right. The, the system itself was just, it was not set up for journalism, really. Like ultimately, maybe a few people got to do it if we had like an investigative department, but the vast majority were just cogs in a wheel. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was funny when I went on Kennedy, I was petrified i was terrified That's awesome, by the way but oh thank you but uh it was funny once i started talking and it was over in like two minutes i realized wow that was the easiest thing i've ever done whenever i'm yeah. on a podcast i have to have supporting evidence if i'm going to claim something right. if i'm talking about the war in ukraine i sort of have to say why i know what i'm talking about but mm -hmm. up there i could just i could have said whatever i wanted and it would have been done it would have been like okay yeah. next guest 
yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just it's not a thought provoking um, setup, and it's designed to just get little mm -hmm. snippets to give you a small picture right. of reality. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think go ahead. I was just gonna say, let me tell you th this story. So <laughs> it's on that point. Back when Trump got, um, oh no, 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 it wasn't when Trump got COVID. It was when the FDA approved. Uh, I think it was the Pfizer vaccine, and so of course. This another one in the newsrooms, my old company, one that I had been sent to train, um, does a story about like, well, now that it's FDA approved, will these anti-vaxxers finally go get the vaccine? Not realizing, of course, that like they don't trust the FDA. So, no, the FDA's <laughs> approval is probably not going to make that much of a difference. But they go to the story and and basically the sound bites of all the people, because they just do MOS is what we call a man on the street. It's like you go out outside the grocery store and you stop like the first four people that are willing to talk to you. And then you just put them in and you act like that's what people think, right? Like <laughs> Joe represents everybody. And all the sound bites were, were exactly what you were talking about. Sound bites that you don't really have to fact check because you can't. So like one person's Perfect. like, well, I don't think it's the mark of the beast, but I'm still not getting it, you know? And it's like no one in the story made any cogent arguments. Of course not, because they're not going to spend the time in the actual news story to, you know, debunk it. Um, or they can't. Or the reporter's just like, I don't have time to look up this, this question about this issue or this issue or this issue. Or they just think you're nuts. So they just put in sound bites that, like, no one can argue with. Like, how are you going to argue if it's the mark of the beast? I don't know. So, so that's how it works. So just to your point, like, you're right. Exactly. You're it's set up exactly that way. So that it, the, the statements are either too broad or too ephemeral for, for there to be any like cogent discussion about it. And it's too short anyway. So you just move on. Yeah. So as this independent media forms, it seems that, you know, we don't just have the problems of dealing with the mainstream media. We also have our own problems with people just becoming a less impressive form of the mainstream media. Like I've dealt with people who have made smear attacks on me, um, you know, who have shows and they've edited stuff out of context and such. And it's just like, what are you doing? You're just CNN without the ratings or the money or the views. Like why? Oh, yeah. Why bother to do this? And then the other problem we have is just straight up contrarianism. So um, which I don't find that impressive. Like if you're just saying the exact opposite of whatever they're saying about every single thing, it's like, OK, well, you're still kind of allowing the mainstream to dictate what truth is. If you're not going to do any digging beyond what they say and just say the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, pretty much the only time I endorse that is with wartime propaganda, just because that's like almost always false or and even if it isn't false like it doesn't matter because what's the what are they trying to do get us involved and kill more people or whatever so like that's that's one of those only situations where i don't really care about that so much but when it comes to things like trying to dig into 9-11 or dig into any conspiracy theories about anything in the past you tend to have people who just it was kind of like you were saying like the mark of the beast thing so you end up with those types of arguments people making crazy claims that they have nothing to back them up. And it just kind of, it, it makes people disinterested in finding out what's actually true because it's very rare you find people, like I, I've seen on your channel, you had someone from Ukraine come on your show. And that's really cool because the, uh, you know, the incentive for us in the mainstream media is just to say the exact opposite of whatever 
the mainstream is saying is going on there and just to you know talk you know the russian point of view or whatever so people being willing to say okay i'm going to talk to everybody about this and find out what's actually going on is just kind of rare in our circles uh, i don't know if you've noticed that same problem or if you have any mm -hmm. comments on it totally i think there's there's just as many issues that plague independent media i think i tell my audience regularly that if you don't want independent media to become like mainstream media, then you play a role in that too. Because if you just unsubscribe every time the person says something or has somebody on that, that isn't like exactly what you're saying, right? Like this sort of Alice in Wonderland, Wonderland contrarian <laughs> opinion, then you're, you're creating your own echo chamber. Like you're creating mainstream, you're recreating mainstream news. Cause you're, you're, you're doing exactly what mainstream news has figured out their audiences do like well i just want fox to tell me this and i just want msnbc to tell me this and it does make it does make it really difficult for somebody who's like depending on their audiences for financial support because it's like well now you've just replaced the advertisers with the audience and actually what's funny is that when i was in mainstream news i didn't give a flip about advertisers or the audience, really. I, I, because I got my paycheck from my company. Like my, my issues. I wasn't saying they're like, oh god, I hope I make the audience happy tonight. I didn't care, um, and I didn't care if I made the advertisers happy because I didn't even know who was that. Because honestly, I didn't watch our newscast like a lot, so I didn't even know who was advertising on the news. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's it's kind of a new world, and you have to like. I think the way I do it anyway is. I, I've tried to, to slowly build my audience instead of just like going, you know, full bore, like, like you said, just like nailing things, you know, like I know everything and, and this, and this is wrong and this is right. I, I, I've been very clear from the beginning. Listen, I'm unlearning and relearning a lot of stuff. That's what I do here. Mm -hmm. And that means that sometimes I talk to these people and other times I talk to these people, like, as you were saying, like I had a guy from Russia on, I took a lot of flack on him. Then I have the guy from Ukraine on, I take a lot of flack from him. You know, I, one, I'm, I'm the Russian asset. The other one, I'm a CIA asset. You know, <laughs> here I am just, yeah. just trying to hear what people have to say. And so like, I've just, I guess just by modeling a behavior of humility and wanting to learn and being curious I hope that I'm gaining an audience, even if it's slower growing, it's one that's more reflective of that personality. So I think it's like, if you're somebody who wants to grow an audience that is self-reflective, thinks complexly through issues, doesn't just get you know, into a tantrum when they don't hear something or hear something they don't like, or don't hear something they want to hear or whatever, model that, you know, because if you model rage bait and I know everything and whatever, then like the second that you get something wrong, like, you know, the poops on your nose. Cause you didn't yeah. tell people like, well, I'm just, you know, listen, I'm just Allison. Like I'm, I don't know everything. I just want to learn. And if you're curious and you want to hear alternative voices, then come learn with me. And listen, if you decide that, you know, everything and you're going to throw a tantrum, then this probably just isn't the community for you. And, you know, I still take it from people who don't still don't understand that. But um, I, I think it's unfortunate because like one time I asked that question publicly, can you, can you learn in public or like, have we just, have we just come to this assumption that anytime somebody talks publicly, 
they they uh, they see themselves as some kind of authority who just knows everything or you're look you you've put that on them maybe they don't even think that but you assume that you're you're putting that on them and so like they can't ever make a mistake they can't ever talk to somebody that that um you don't like and keep in mind too it, it, say like the people that I was talking to during COVID or still am would be anathema to my old profession. But, but if I'm brave enough to do that, then the worst thing like my audience could do would be this to act the same way as my old, as my peers, you know, my, my old bosses or whatever. And then like bring out the intellectual guillotine the second that I talk to somebody that they see as the contrarian or they see as the person who's, who, who, you know, doesn't deserve to be heard because you're just, you're just modeling the same behavior. So I do, I totally agree with you. I, I think at least for the creator, I don't know about the system, but the creator is just like starting the, you know, and every time you go in public is just to be humble enough to model the kind of behavior you want to see from the audience. Yeah. And the whole, you know, being flashy and, you know, fantastical or whatever, that's just naturally going to draw more people. That's one of those human nature problems. Sure. You and know, like there's faster. just nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You'll grow yeah. faster. Like I was saying, like you'll, you'll, you'll get a million subscribers and people will come to you and they'll be really angry and they'll bring their pitchforks and all that stuff, but they will leave you just as fast exactly. the second yeah. that they hear something that they don't like. Yeah. that That's it right there. You know, like I, I remember um, <laughs> I started doing this about two years ago. And before I started, I was like, I just don't know enough to do this. So then I started watching some other people's podcasts who had like a couple thousand subs or whatever. And I was like, oh, all right, maybe I do actually know enough to do this, you know, and I'm just going <laughs> right. to like kind of stay inside of what I know and not talk too much outside of the realm of my knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what like people aren't just OK with saying, uh, sorry, I don't know that much about that. They always have to they have to have an opinion on every single thing even if they haven't researched it mm -hmm. and it's all about dunking on the dumb yeah, guy right? right like it's all like you stupid idiot i can't believe you thought that it should have been completely obvious that this was the case um so yeah i i i think you're 100 right like the, the 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 humble approach trying to take the journey with your audience almost like look guys we don't really right. know 100 what's going on here so let's just keep an open mind and try to talk to people from both sides and figure out what the truth yeah. is. But it's just not, people need to, they need to be playing the long game and thinking that way because totally. the short game is, oh, if I say something crazy, I'll get a bunch of subs. And right. it's not the way to cultivate a lasting following or an impressive um, reputation at right. all, for sure. Right, right, yeah, exactly. And, and like, if you give it, you'll get it. So... Hey, if, if you want that from your audience, then go, you know, go rage and, and scream and say, you know, everything. And, but then your audience will reflect that. They'll, they'll be a bunch of know-it-alls that are ready to uh, mob, mob you the second that you go in an opposite direction and you'll feel that pressure to always, to always go, um, you know, upstream in the direction that they want you to go. So yeah, I, I, I again, when you're talking about the human nature problem, like there's always going to be maybe even the majority of people are gonna, you know, be the kind that we're talking about where you're just like, oh, I just, you know, I just, I know I know everything and I hate those people. And I just want somebody to reinforce what I already believe. And, you know, maybe there's 
10 or 20% of people who are like, uh, I'm not totally sure. And I want to ask these questions, but I don't want to look stupid or I don't want to be ostracized from society. And they find like you and you're willing to ask the questions and you're willing to take the plaque. Like you're willing to be the dumbass that everybody comes after so that you can ask their question for them, you know, and like right. just show that it's okay to ask questions. And, you know, I just think there's a lot of value in that today. Just, just being somebody who's like, I don't know everything that shouldn't be breaking news. Like I don't know everything, especially when it comes to, you know, some of these major conflicts, like, you know, whatever, not necessarily like, like war conflicts, but just conflicts over public health or whatever else. Like I'm, I'm trying to learn. I don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. I'm trying to figure it out. Like that shouldn't be such a controversial position, but uh, I think in today's world, you know, no matter where you are, it's not just mainstream news. A lot of people just walk around, you know, they, they, they need, they need something to fight. Um, and, and I think this also kind of brings us back to the beginning, what we were talking about with like, uh, spending time in quiet and the off grid living and having a garden or just like knowing your neighbor. I mean, at the end of the day, I've realized that the vast majority of, of what I'm like reading or hearing I can't confirm for you. I mean, like I would ask you like a million questions, like you think this about this, this topic, but do you know it for sure? Like in the way that I'm looking out my window and I can see my horse like that, I know for sure. And Mm -hmm. for me, that's what's so attractive about homesteading and moving into the direction of homesteading is that the stuff that I'm going to spend the vast majority of my energy on intellectual, physical is something that I have my hands on that I grew for my family, that feeds us, that participates in the local ecosystem, that helps me build relationships with my neighbors. Because I can go meet my neighbor and I can tell you about them, but I couldn't really tell you about Putin or Zelensky, honestly. I only know what people tell me about those guys. But I could tell you about my neighbor, Marilyn, real easy, because <laughs> I just saw her, you know, and <laughs> brought yeah. her, you know, some help when she was sick. And and to me, that's like, that's where I want to spend my energy. It's not, not like, freaking out constantly about what's going on in the world around me, but like making some kind of impact right outside my window. Yeah, I I think that's great. Um, Everyone go subscribe to Allison's channel. I've got it linked in the description. I've become a big fan of your videos. I, it was funny. I had no idea who you were. You had me (laughs) on your show and then I go check out your channel and I'm like, Oh shit, she has over a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. I had no idea, but um, I highly recommend it. Everyone go check it out. Allison, is there anything else you just want to say? Any closing remarks or anywhere else you want people to follow you? No, I just really appreciate the work that you do to read. And you've had a lot of amazing uh, conversations with people that also I would, you know, like, oh, those are awesome people. Like you were saying, I had cool people on mine. You've had some really great people. So uh, everybody, you know, give read his due too, because I can't imagine like, you know, you're working full time and, and I think it's cool that you have a job that's not like, I don't know, some kind of like institutional academic kind of person who just got their nose stuck up in the air. You're a real hardworking American who has different ideas and sees the world. And I think we just need more, we just need more people who have relationships with with folks who are different, like you were saying, going through these different states, you had these preconceived notions about them and you've, you've gotten to see how how the just these narratives do not match up to reality. And one of the things I think about with mainstream news that I wonder about is that the way you move up in mainstream news is you get to a bigger and bigger city. So you're like incentivized to move away from 
sort of middle America. And if you've made it, you're living in LA or New York or Chicago and, and you like lose touch with, with just what like, you know, a lot of Americans are just doing to put food on the table or what they're thinking about. And, and I think that's partially how the news gets to be where it is. They're all just going out to bars with each other. They think everybody thinks the way they do, or if they don't, they're just crazy rural hicks or whatever else. So true. Yeah. So I just really appreciate what you do and that you, you show people that, that, you know, you're, you're just an average, you're just like a normal person and you know, all of these really interesting things and you're willing to have conversations with different kinds of people. And like, to me, the best kind of example is that is just like, like I was saying earlier, just modeling that people like you exist. Like a guy can drive a truck and also be really smart and have all these interesting ideas and that we shouldn't just stereotype people, uh, which is weird because the news business is like so liberal, you know, but at the same time, they also constantly stereotype people, not the people they don't want you to stereotype, but there are groups of people that are okay to stereotype. And then, you know, it's okay if you do it too, as the public. And so I just appreciate everything you do. So thanks for giving me the chance to come on. Yeah. Well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. It really does. Um, Everyone subscribe to the channel. If you're new here, Tomorrow, I am having Dr. Ron Paul on the show. That's insane. Uh, this is, I mean, that's just crazy. Like I, like I was saying, I started two years ago, and now I'm having Ron Paul on. That just blows my mind. He, I, you know, I'm an atheist, so he's the closest thing I can relate to talking to Jesus, probably. Like, this is just like <laughs> insane. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then I'm having Patrick McFarlane on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I'll, uh, I'll be going on Alex Stein's conspiracy castle um and then a bunch of stuff happening next week too but allison thank you for coming on it was a great conversation thank you reed